Hey everyone, before we begin with another episode of the YM Transfer Podcast, I want to just take a moment to share with you a little bit about MYMU. It's our membership site at MarathonYouthMinistry.com where we have resources, online courses, and cohorts to help you as a ministry leader grow. Uh, we know that sometimes uh, figuring out how to you know, tackle ministry, whether you're in a pandemic or just uh, getting ready for the fall, can be so difficult. And so when you sign up for Marathon Youth Ministries membership site, uh, we plug you into something called a cohort, which is a group of other like-minded parish leaders who are looking to grow as well, where you can share ideas, where you can learn a little bit more about some of the basic fundamental principles to creating a healthy, striving ministry, and uh, and all sorts of other resources that we keep on adding there. We have courses on building a dynamic team of volunteers and small groups from scratch and, and rebuilding your confirmation program. And again, uh, we're continually growing. So to get started, all you got to do is go to MarathonYouthMinistry.com backslash MYMU. And for $35 a month or $385 a year, we will walk with you to help you grow so that you can help others grow to get to know Christ. Check it out. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to another episode of the YM Transfer Podcast. Today's guest is the enthusiastic Brenda Noriega, and I absolutely enjoyed this conversation with her. We talked a lot about uh, just your personal uh, discipleship. Uh, she shares with me a couple of uh, encounters with the Pope that she's had, which are really, really cool. And uh, we, we, we talk about young adults and uh, young adult ministry. And that's what Brenda knows. I mean, she knows a lot, but that's where she thrives. That's her mission and calling in life. Uh, before working for the Marinals, uh, she uh, was the program director for the Diocese of San uh, Bernardino for young adults. And, uh, and so Brenda's got a heart for not only the church, but the young church. And she is a voice and an advocate. And so bust out those pens, those notebooks, and let's get ready for another episode of the YM Transfer Podcast. Without further delay, here is Brenda. Brenda, how's it going? Hey! Everything is good. Um, my good friend says I'm blessed by the best, and all is good in the hood. So all there good. you go. There you go. You gotta love. You gotta love those little rhymes. Uh, my guest with me is Brenda Noriega, and and uh, Brenda, why don't you introduce yourself uh, for people who might not know who you are? Uh, well, my name is Brenda Noriega. I was born and raised in Mexico. I came to the U.S. at the age of 17. This is my country. And well, um, let me see, I am a mission educator promoter for Merino Fathers and Brothers. Um, I, I represent the voice of young people um, in different committees, including the International Youth Advisory Body for the Dicastery of Lady and Family Life in Rome. That's a long title. And um, and I'm also part of the Young Adult Advisory Committee for the USCCB, among other committees. So yeah, so it's it's been uh, fun representing the voices of young people, but also a great commitment. Well, and, and that's one of the reasons why um, I wanted to have you on the show is just uh, because your voice has has gotten out there, and and you are representing 
um, a lot of a lot of people, and, uh, and and sometimes that can have a little pressure, right? You're the voice for young adults in the USCCB. You're the voice for young adults in all these uh, initiatives and movements that are happening. And uh, and I mean, people can't see this, but Brenna's sipping tea because her voice is probably a little tired, you know. But no, um, well, all right. So you kind of gave us like the one minute um, biography. Uh, of your life and everything like that. And it, it was sandwiched in there. And so we're gonna kind of extrapolate and expand on that. So I, I wanna take you way back. And one of the questions I'd love to ask my guests is how they got started in ministry, right? What's the Genesis story and everything like that. So thinking back to you know yourself as a young child, um, what do you think were some of the influences or areas that had started to put you on this path? Um, I mean, what was this like a, uh, especially in, in, in diocesan ministry, which you were in before and everything like that, um, where there were signs or, or people who were kind of pointing you in that direction? You know, um, I think that God really rides a straight lines and cricket lights. Is that the, the saying, right? And, um, and I say that because I was not raised Catholic. And uh, a lot of people think that I grew up in a super Catholic family, and that's why I decided to be a minister and give my entire life to Christ. And so even some young people have uh, told me, and especially in youth retreats, it has been like, well, it's easy for you to say when this has been your, been your entire life. Uh, and I laugh because I'm like, oh, no, I, no, that's not, not the case. And But it's still... Um, Thinking back and, and just looking back into my childhood, I remember my parents in, infusing in me the values of faith. My dad actually told me, has, he keeps telling me that I can lose it all and that's okay. But the day I lose my faith in God, then I lost it all. And so growing up, just hearing that, um, I think I, I always thought of God of being present and that that was the one thing I needed to hold on to. Um, that is one thing. The other part of my childhood that has moved me into what I do today, uh, especially as a mission educator promoter, but as a minister as well in the Catholic Church is um, looking out for those in need. So I grew up in a very poor family, not a wealthy family or anything like that. I grew up uh, very humble. But in her poverty, my mom was always helping the neighbors and she was always cooking a little bit extra um, and especially for the elderly in the community. And I thought, I, I always thought to myself, like, we, we already don't have food. <laughs> How are we sharing? And I want a little bit more of food, mom. You know, why, why are you asking me to give food to somebody else? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And then my mom used to sell clothes in, um, in the, the flea markets in Mexico. I think the tianguis, that's how we call them, tianguis and the flea markets. And so we will carry, we will travel like even up to an hour in, in the bus, you know, the city bus. And my mom will carry on her bag these huge like bags of clothes to take them and just put them on the floor and people will come and, and buy them from us. And they were secondhand clothes. And that was during the week. And so in the weekends, we will take whatever we didn't sell and we will take it up to a rural community. And once again, I always question like, why, right? Like we don't have 
enough? Why are we giving away? And my mom, and at one point I questioned her because I told, I told her, look, you don't want to buy me candies. Like imagine what I can buy if, if you just like, don't give away these clothes, you sell them and you give me the money. You know, I, I just want a candy or I want meat because many times we didn't even have money for meat. Um, so it was just beans and rice. And my mom answer was always the same. She was always telling me, yes, we are poor, but we have the necessary and we have each other. And there are people who need help. And because we know how it feels, we know what being hungry means is that we help. And so that, that experience of giving giving from from the little you need has always been in my heart you know and 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 so for me it's an immediate connection and even if my mom never told me well because the scriptures talk about you know helping the poor and being with the widow and it, no it, it was the value of solidarity and it was not just the charity it was really solidarity because it was i i understand what you're going through and so here i am with you so that I think those um, two things in my childhood continue being part of the reason why I'm in ministry, um, especially right now as a missionary promoter. And, um, but also always helping young people to think about going out to their peripheries. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, there's so much in there. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go back to, you, you said that uh, you weren't raised Catholic. Um, did you grow up in a Christian household? And if, like, tell us a little bit about that kind of move towards Catholicism. Yeah, so uh, I was raised evangelical, but um, I took all my sacraments when I was little because, well, I was born in Mexico, and that's pretty much a tradition. So, so I was baptized. I did my first communion, my confirmation, everything, and it was just like I said, um, by tradition. And then when it was December, I was a faithful Catholic. I knew all my prayers um, because it's the time of the posadas um, and they give you free candies. And mm -hmm. like I said, I was very poor. So I will go and pray the rosary for candies at the end of the day. Uh, I mean, at the end of the night and the rest of the year, it was evangelical. And well, I learned about God, definitely about God. Um, at the age of five, I learned my first uh, worship song at the age of five. And until today, I carry it um, in my heart and in my mind. And, and sometimes um, I sing it aloud. And it's about God's love. You, I'm looking at your what, face. What, what, song, what, song, what song is it? Yeah, I need to know. I need to know. No, okay. Uh, so it says, it goes like this. It says, Tres palabritas son. Las que aprendí de memoria. Dios es amor. La, 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 la. Three little words I learned by heart. God is love. Wow, la, that's la, awesome. And, um, and see, that's even connected to what my dad always told me of, you can lose it all, but not God. Right. Uh, not your faith in God. And, um, and so, yeah, so I was raised evangelical until the age of 13. Then I became a rebel. I have always been the little rebel in my family, the black sheep of the family. And I went into a really dark path. 
in my life. Um, at the age of 15, uh, I had my first boyfriend and with him, I went through physical, emotional, sexual, and psychological abuse. And so that also took me into a very, very dark path, um, all the way to being, to try to commit suicide and even being involved in, um, in sorcery and all the way to Satanism. And so that, um, it was a very, very dark time in my life, about six, six months to a year. And it, it was very fast. Everything happened super fast. My, my entire family was super afraid. They didn't know what to do with me or overall what to do. And so that's when they sent me to the United States. And in the United States, I went to my first uh, retreat, a beautiful encounter. That's in, in the Catholic Church. And so that was just beautiful. That's when I encountered Christ and I had this very personal encounter and um, a mystical encounter as well. And I said, yes, I said yes to healing. And after that, it was two years of intentional healing with a community. Um, six months into being part of the ministry, I joined the court, the, like the, the court team. <laughs> that was, yeah, it was crazy. And I think that was part of, of what kept me going. Um, and what, cause there was a commitment, right? So it was not just me showing up to the meetings, but there was an intentional commitment of service as well as I was, this, it was really this, um, this, um, wounded healer. You know, mm -hmm. the, you know, the book that talks about the wounded healer. And I, and I yeah. think it really was for me because I was wounded, but at the same time I was serving in, mm -hmm. in logistics or cleaning or sharing my story, even of faith and of conversion, because I fell in love with Christ right away in my right. first retreat. And after that, I decided to learn more about the faith and I fell so much in love with the Catholic faith. And I already had my sacraments. So some people say, well, you were never gone, really. It's like you you, you came back to the church, right? Um, and other people think that I pretty much lived my initiation in the church without experiencing the, the sacraments. Yeah. It's, but for me, I think I was always being pursued by Christ my entire yeah. life. I, I was being pursued by him and... And at the age of 17, I recognize his voice and I recognize um, his face in the church. It, it's kind of like a St. Paul story, right? Kicking against the goad, you know, um, yeah. you know, no matter how hard you, you try, God's always pursuing us. And, and I love just that kind of imagery, right? Like, and, and first also, thank you so much for sharing all that. You know, it's um, it definitely goes back to what you were saying when people are like, oh, you've got it easy. You've grown up Catholic your whole life. And yeah, actually. <laughs> And, and, and that I can imagine brings a lot of um, empathy, especially to um, the young people you're working with or, or advocating for, um, is the sense that, not that we have to wander off the path to, to be able to show that, but the fact that um, that pain, that, that um, wandering and everything like that is something that you've, you've walked in those footsteps before. Um, yes. And, and, and it is very easy for me to identify when a young person is going through the things I, I went through, actually. Um, 
it, it's just like a radar that I develop. And that's, I identify the signs in a way. Um, and I think the, their hurt uh, reminds me of my pain, but I also know what can heal them. And, and I know the healer, right? It's like, I know the healer. I, I know that your life can be different. I want you to experience his love. And that that is what um, helped me get out of the bed every day to serve the young people, to be honest, because I know the lies of the devil. And, and I know I come from a beautiful family. Like my family is not the factor here, right? Um, even with the good teaching they they gave me growing up, even with um, with their love, um, I still went off the line, and and I still became this rebel. And and so sometimes I've heard even ministers say easily like, "Oh, it's the families," and I'm like, "That's not fair," you know, because I am one of those people that it was not a family. Um, it was me, and and I believe the devil's lies. But then the moment I encountered this community and also the support of my family, and, and I always say it took a village for me to be where I am right now. And it, it continues taking a, an entire village uh, to form me because I'm still in formation. But yeah, but I really, I really think it's not, and sometimes it's not a child's fault either. It's not a teen's fault. It's not a young adult's fault because they don't know better. I didn't know better. I thought I was making the right decisions and you don't know you're making a mistake until it's already a mistake, right? Right, <laughs> you, no. You're doing the right you're doing the right thing. So yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um and, and, and yeah, I, I couldn't agree more where we sometimes forget about free will, right? And it's the fact that no matter, you know, how hard we try, and and I know for me as a parent, right, with a, a ten and a seven year old, I work in the church and one of my big fears is that I'm gonna be just be the result, at, you know, and uh, uh, have the result of pastor's kids, right? Youth pastor's kids where oh, yeah. they, they resent the church because their father didn't set boundaries um, in that regards. But also um, reminding myself that, you know, God gives each and every one of us a soul and, and with that free will and, and, and it and ultimately comes down to us. Now there are things that we can do to, to cultivate, but in the end, it ultimately comes down to us. Um, you know, you mentioned that you can you can start to tell if, if a young person is starting to wander away. I, I'd be curious, what are some of those signs or those things that you, you feel like you pick up on um, if you see someone struggling or walking away? The first one is solitude. I think, um, um, not, and it's not solitude. Solitude is a good way. It's a good thing, I, I believe. But it's more of isolation. That's the word. Isolation. Yeah. The first sign is isolation. Um, especially when when you see somebody that is talkative and then out of nowhere they start getting quiet um there's something that has been broken in that moment right like there's something that is wounded there's something that is not right um and then we need it is our job to figure out with questions and asking the right questions what's going on but the second one so one is isolation the second one is um their way they communicate. It's either they are now quiet or they are angry. If they are angry all the time, I think that's uh, that will be the other one. Or they just um, they just don't see purpose 
on things mm-hmm. and and i recognize those signs because those are the similar signs to to my own experience um it's not a clothing many many people think oh the moment they start wearing like black clothes and and change their hairstyle maybe sometimes it is for, for some people but not for everybody like i was still wearing my makeup and wearing my super cute clothing you know and i wasn't saying an sm so that's not <laughs> i always tell people not not related people okay right um so um the music if the type of music they they listen to i think that's also a huge sign um because the music is, is sometimes reflecting how they feel and they don't know how to communicate it. They don't know how to express it sometimes. Um, so those are some of the signs. Um, when I am giving a talk, when I'm in front of the person and sometimes I talk about my own experience with the ladies, what I've observed is that automatically they, they lower their, their, their eyes. They look, they evade the eye contact. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the boys, it's actually kind of the opposite. It's like if they are trying to be strong enough, uh, so you don't get through them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm taking so many notes. This is, <laughs> this is great. Um, uh, yeah. And, and, and really that comes from those of us who are in ministry or, or even parents and neighbors just paying attention and, and listening listening to people um, to pick up on some of these things because, you know, uh, they, I think, start out subtle um, before they become more uh, pronounced. But, um, you know, uh, you mentioned also um, there was something about the community that welcomed you, welcomed you in. Um, wh- what were some of those characteristics or things that really stuck out, um, you know, about that community? Because, I mean, here you are making this drastic change, right? You're moving out of, you know, out of Mexico into the United States right? You're, um, you know, kind of away from family in this community. Like, like, what was it about that community that allowed you to, you know, find a home? Um, you know, mm, the first thing is that they helped me. They helped me in the transition. Um, when I look back, and, and I remember that the coordinators and the court team of the ministry that I was part of at the time, they were like 24, 25. Some of them were in college. Some of them were right out of college and still trying to figure out uh, their young adulthood, right? And some of them were like 30. And for, for me, it was like, oh, they are super old. Um, but no, they were young. I mean, I'm 30 now. So, <laughs> so I'm like, of course they were young. Um, it was the accompaniment on, this, on the social change. I think that matters. Many times we think it's just teaching somebody to pray and that is ministry. But no, part of, of the community of, of the person is recognizing or part of being a community of faith is recognizing the social uh, life of the person we accompany. And so they helped me to pass the cases at the time we had the California exit exam. And, and so for me, I was, you know, just, new in the States, didn't know much the English, I'm still learning the language, and, um, and, and just not knowing anything, and the pressure of passing an, 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 a state exam in order to apply for college, that was a huge pressure on my shoulders, 
And my family didn't know the educational system. The educational system is completely different to the system in Mexico. And so they helped me to figure it out. They, they helped me to apply for scholarships. Um, they will stay up in the night with me many, many days during the week until like four in the morning, five in the morning. And right from, right from my, my apartment, they will go to their jobs or they will go to school. And, you know, like I said, it was not them helping me to pray. It was not them teaching me the dogmas of, of the church. It was them just helping me to live in the United States and in that transition. And they were teaching me and tutoring me and, and learning the language. Um, they will go, they will drive all the way to my house, which was like 30 minutes away from their, where they live. Um, go pick me up right after work for them. It was like 5 PM and they were part of the court team. So they will drive from work to my house, 30 minutes, pick me up and then drive me back to the church, get to the church, help them to set up after the meeting, the ministry meeting, they will take me to Dennis every Friday. We will go to Dennis and at Dennis, they will pay for my meal because they knew my family didn't have, money every time they will pay for my meal and after that they will take me back home they will drive me all the way you know to my house and after that they will go home the next day they had their own regular life and they were going they were really running the extra mile and at the at the time i didn't realize what was happening i think as we grow and then we read these books that tell you what to do and i reflect on my own life i'm like oh my gosh that's what they were doing, you know, and now that I trained them, they were doing it out of their kindness of their hearts. Um, I'm still in, in, com- in communication with some of them. And, and when I talk to them, they're like, well, somebody else did it for us. So that's why we did it for others, you know, and, and that's it. But we never went to a training or anything like that. Um, yeah. And they were volunteer ministers, of course, like most of the people in the church. Um, so those are some of the, I will say of the, how to say, um, some of, of, of the accompaniment they provided for me. And when yeah. it came down to the faith, uh, they knew my past. They didn't judge me for my past. Um, they didn't condemn me. They focus on, on what I had to offer to the community. Um, I questioned them a lot. A lot because the ministry emphasis is on uh, chastity mm-hmm. and so i had so many questions right from the first day at the retreat i was asking all kind of questions and difficult questions and and instead of seeing that as an issue they saw that as an asset mm-hmm. um and i think um they taught me to use it right and they invited me to be um, almost like the devil's advocate kind of thing in the meetings and because that's that's part of who I am. So they utilize my talents. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, and I love how you said they didn't see like um, that situation as an issue. They saw it as an asset. Um, And it's amazing because it, it makes me realize like how many times we see young people and their issues, right. Or families and their issues and we're going to fix it. Right. We're going to fix it. Mm -hmm. But 
instead it's an opportunity right it's an opportunity yeah. to listen a company um and, and i just love how you're just describing this community do you do you sometimes think that we overcomplicate um how we accompany how we walk with people in ministry that we try to over structure or program programatize it i think i i think we do i mean um and i've done it too um when uh, when we read christus with it right what pope francis says on chapter seven and he says only two things are necessary to do ministry with young people one is outreach and the other one is growth and when it comes to growth it's all about the charisma and it's all about sharing the love and and you know um I think that's what they did. They in that ministry, um, there was not there was formation, of course, and and there was a structure, but it was not such a rigid structure that um, that will compromise the uh, the personal um, like the personal uh, the how to say um, trying to find my words over here, yeah, like that 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 personal connection. Mm -hmm. um sharing the charisma I, I think what what they did was not talk about christ but really model christ mm. and when they will give teachings actually or when it was teaching time it was all testimonies and it was powerful to come and see it was just witnesses you know witness talks and to see people um just to hear them hear their their converse their conversion story and what they what keep them moving it at least for me was light it was like oh i can do this and i think many times in ministry we bring um many times oh my gosh there's gonna be i'm sorry if i offend anybody but okay i, I feel that in ministry many times we bring the speakers that are gonna say I did everything right. And because mm. I did everything right, now this is the result. I got the perfect husband with the perfect children or I got the perfect wife, right? Because I did everything right. And instead in this ministry in my first years, it was the contrary. It was people saying, I keep failing, but I keep trying. And if I keep trying, you can you can do it too. You, you bring up though a very Good point, and and I've I've struggled with that too. It's it's kind of like um, one thing that I feel like we need more of, and this is why I appreciate the story, your story that you you shared with us, and 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 your vulnerability is is the fact that we part of the issues we face in the church is because we're not willing to be vulnerable. We're not willing to talk mm -hmm. about our struggles, you know, our sins, and and the things that that stand behind that. And I know that's something I've I've worked on as a leader. I mean, obviously. You're going. You're not going to share certain things with certain age groups and certain people because <laughs> of different things, you know. And to get up on a national stage, right? But I mean, but yeah, we we focus so much on like, hey, you know, like I I go to daily mass and I was doing the liturgy, of the hours, and everything like that, and and God then bought me a Lamborghini, you know. And it's like <laughs> we're just like, yeah. no, you know, like <laughs> that's not that's not necessarily what brings joy in life, but um. But yeah, I mean, uh, there definitely is, uh, I think, more of a call that uh, for all of us uh, who call ourselves Christians to 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 just be real, to um, be able to offer um, you know everything that's there, knowing and trusting 
like what you experienced in, in with this community, right? That you're not going to be judged for who you are, where you're from, what you've done, that, um, your, your issues are not an issue really. They are an asset. They're an opportunity for you to get to know God more. Um, and, and then there's just this authentic empathy that leads into this accompaniment, uh, accompaniment, I, I think is beautiful. I think that that's, that's definitely awesome. Um, you, you mentioned Christus Vivit, and I have to ask because um, I read, and I know not everything that's on the internet is true, but I read somewhere that you've <laughs> met the Pope twice, right? Once at World Youth Day in Panama, correct? And yes. then more recently, obviously, with your work over uh, being being a representative and everything. Um, t- tell us a little bit about uh, the, the, the encounter at World Youth Day. That was like a private lunch, right? Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, who? Um, there's so much there. I'm still unpacking the blessings um, and the lessons from that one hour being uh, sharing a meal, literally breaking bread <laughs> with the Holy Father. And oh, there's so much I can tell you about that. I mean, I think it's easier if you ask me questions. What I can say about the launch is that one of the many things I learned about Pope Francis is that he is incredibly relational. Mm-hmm. He is fully present in the moment and with the person he is. He really listens. Um, he's not afraid of difficult questions. As you have probably read in the articles I asked about the sexual abuse um, crisis we were going through at the moment, at the time, uh, back in 2018, but the the meeting with him was in 2019, in January 2019. He, at the time, he had not given any interviews um, regarding the topic. He had not mentioned or said anything to anybody. Um, and I, I like to say that he talked to young people about it first, and it was in in that meeting. And and I believe that one of the reasons he did it is not just because I asked. <laughs> but but because he knew that that I was being I, it was a genuine concern and and that we young people were not going to use his words against him against him mm. he trusts young people he trusts and and are willing or willing but also um or love for Christ and are willing to to transform society and transform the church and that's something I witnessed in that in that meeting. Um, we talk about different topics. Everybody at the table had the opportunity to ask questions. I was also translating for some of my friends. Um, the meeting was all in Spanish, uh, since that's his first language, and he likes to speak from the heart. And um, and so he asked me to translate, and I was translating. And I think that's the reason why I remember everything so well because I, at the moment he was saying it i was repeating it um yeah and i mean i mean you could put that on linkedin that you were the personal translator for the pope i mean (laughs) it's just real but yeah no for like 60 minutes it's going on my resume now Yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah so um so he he's very personal and he really cares about what is in the hearts of of the young people um i mean there were different questions two questions or two questions that he spent a significant amount of time answering to, where one of them was the the sexual abuse scandal, 
And the second one, or the crisis, because it was not only about the U.S. and my friend in Australia, he jumped in and he said, ah, we too. <laughs> we have that issue going on right now. And my friend in, um, in India, he also talked about it, you know, and, and how they were also facing at the time something with their bishop and, and this nuns. Mm. And so it was a concern in, for many of us. It was not just for the U.S. Um, and so he, he spent about 15 minutes talking about that. Um, he made sure we didn't have any other questions about it. He gave us all the space. The other question was about the, the environment. So he spent other good 15, 20 minutes talking about the care for the common home. And, um, and he's very concerned about that. I remember in that meeting, he told us that they were going to do a CNAT for the, um, the CNAT for the Amazons. And, and that was not even in the news yet when he shared that with us in that meeting. But in that meeting, he said, we have five years to make a real change. And, and I mean, to see the concern in his eyes, because he was really concerned. He said five years. That impacted me. Like I walked out of that meeting with this sense of urgency in all, in all ways, like to share Christ, to be rooted in Christ, a sense of urgency as well to do an impact, to talk about, you know, um, the the care the care for the common home to talk about christ and and why we should care for each other um another topic that was very important for him was the generation he told us like you need to talk to the elderly we need to walk together and and that's a very um that that's very visible in christos vivid as well i mean we have an entire chapter on on the young people um being rooted right and that being in christ but also in the roots their traditions and and the culture and he actually told us he told us be like he said be like rooted trees because when the trees don't have deep roots dry out and and so he said be rooted in the scriptures be rooted in christ but be also rooted in your traditions and then he looked to my friend from representing the indigenous communities. And he told her too, right? As he told the rest of us, um, to not be ashamed of where we come from um, and, and our traditions and our roots uh, so culture, uh, pretty much be rooted also, also on our culture. And that was beautiful for me to hear something like that coming from the Holy Father, um, especially in the United States, when many times we are, we are asked to assimilate to be more American, right? Or if I don't have a perfect, um, well, I know that we have different accents, but if I have a Mexican accent uh, that I value, then I'm not American enough. That if I was born in, in Mexico, but I've been here so many years and I'm not American enough. And I think for us in the US, we really struggle with that issue of who is American enough, um, who is really American and, and what it means to be American. And so for the Holy Father to talk about this topic of be proud of where you come from, um, it was meaningful to me. But in this sense of, um, this other topic of the sense of urgency, he gave us Our Lady of Promptitude, a statue. And I know they cannot see us, but it's over there in the back. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I see it over to... your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, can you can you see her? I can. There? I can. Okay. There you go. So um, that's Our Lady of Promptitude. And when he gave us the statue, and this it's Our Lady carrying a baby Jesus, and she is with her leg is like moving, like going forth, 
right? It's just walking um, and she's carrying baby Jesus and both of them are smiling with this huge smile on their faces. Um, and he said, he gave us a set to all of us and then he said, be like Mary when she went out to encounter her cousin. Um, always in a hurry, never busy. Just said, always in a hurry. He said, always in a hurry, never busy. Be always in a hurry to encounter those who need help, but be never too busy that you don't have time in your agendas to encounter somebody else. And so in Spanish, he said it, it was more of um, siempre apurados, nunca ocupados. Um, so my translation has been always in a hurry, never busy. But um, but yeah, that was very um, significant for me. It really changed the way I see ministry. It really changed the way I'm doing ministry and and to be with that sense of urgency, right? Always in a hurry, but never too busy that there's not like, I don't have any more space for, I'm sorry, I have to pass on this. <laughs> but right. when it comes, I think, to encountering people, not necessarily to events or, right, or, or, or anything or, or talks or things like that. Yeah. No, that, 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 that's good. That's, that's, that's so good. Um, you know, and, and yeah, I'm sure we could unpack just that entire experience. Oh. Hey, yep. Yep. Uh, we can uh, unpack that entire experience um, uh, just and spend the rest of our time doing that. But uh, I've just got uh, so many questions. But, uh, you know, with with that experience, one thing that stuck out that, that shared me is, is our Holy Father's willingness to sit with young people, ask questions, and then share what is on his heart, right? And it yeah. wasn't just a bunch of, like, you know, sayings, he wasn't, it didn't sound like he was saying what he thought you wanted to hear. It, it, and and I, I feel like sometimes that's a big misconception we have in ministry, especially to young people, is that there's this pressure to guess what they want us to say. And so we'll yeah. take a stab at it where really what young people are, are, are yearning for is, is just authenticity, correct? Yes, no, that's correct. And I think, and it's just the willingness to listen. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to share a meal. I mean, we had actual food. Somebody asked me after the encounter with the Holy Father, um, was that actual food or it was just a plate? And I'm like, no, there was even dessert and wine. Um, and I mean, he got, he's so personal to the point of saying, hey, you know what? Cheers. Grab your glass of wine and cheers. Um, that's the first thing we did, actually. Um, the moment we got around the table, because everybody was super afraid and quiet and and uh, i guess i have a little bit more of experience being around not po uh, not, not post but like bishops and a priest right um in comparison to to my other friends and so i just asked like so how was your trip in the helicopter <laughs> yeah. um and he said before any questions what if we get to know each other Right. And I was like, of course, right. Um, and then he says, well, we have wine. Uh, grab some wine and everything is better with wine. Something like that. He said, everything is better with wine. It's good for the nerves. So cheers. Um, and that, I was in shock with that action because I think we get very businessy um, 
in the United States when it's about meetings or encounters or anything like let's make sure we have an agenda <laughs> right mm-hmm. and right. his agenda was to meet us mm-hmm. and to listen to us that was the agenda um, there was nothing we didn't even know how long it was gonna be but um, we ate he ate um, so we saw him eating you know like we we didn't just we didn't experience um, the vicar of Christ uh, with papers giving us a discourse on the teachings mm. or anything like that, you know, or giving us a statement. No, we had we had a meal with him. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's huge. That, that, that's so big. You know, I, I was going to ask you, like, what advice would you give someone who's coming out of college, you know, um, but um, when I ask you first, more of like, what are two or three things that um, older people uh, need to know or need to be more aware of when it comes to young adults and, and young and youth and, and young people, um, especially in regards to uh, their faith um, and their their questions? What are like two or three, like, um, and, and you kind of talked about the environment and the sexual abuse scandals and everything like that. What are two or three things that we in the church who are of older generations need to be aware of when it comes to to young young people? Young people know want to know about them as people. One of the questions to the Holy Father was, "How many hours do you sleep?" And he said six. Mm. So I think I'm oversleeping, but. Um, <laughs> that's a very personal question that was not about any crisis or anything and i think young people want to see genuine ministers they don't want to see titles they want to see companions in the journey but they also want young people want the wisdom of older people and and that's that's a misconception that we have about young people many times that we don't want anybody to teach us because we think we are better just because we're young. And some people might have that attitude. That is also true. But um, young people do want to be um, accompanied. Young people want somebody to walk with. And and that's one, but they don't want, they don't want a teacher. They don't want a second father or a second mother. Um, they want a companion on the journey. Uh, they want a mentor, right? Mm-hmm. That's one thing that I will say. Um, and they want to know that you are genuine, definitely, that you struggle. You know how we were talking about the struggles and being real. They want to know that you also struggle with your faith, that you also have questions or that sometimes you even question the faith. And if you are not doing it right now, that at one point you you did it. Um, mm-hmm. They want to know what helped you um, to to just continue the journey. Um, that's one thing definitely uh, for adults. The other, let me see. You, they, they want to know that you're genuinely living out your faith. That is not just BS. That is not to look good right. <laughs> or because you're saying it because it's the right thing to, to do. Um, exactly what you said, you know, of, uh, let me tell you what you want to listen uh, to hear what you want to hear or what I'm supposed to say because I have this position or this role or this title. 
Yeah, yeah, and, and and living out your faith, whether there are struggles or not, like not just the fact that, you know, you're going to daily mass and, and praying the rosary and everything like that, but, you know, um, just, just what that walk that we're taking actually looks like, for sure, for sure. All right, so a, a couple more questions. Um, and and uh, again, this, this this has been great. Like my notepad is filling up with so many of the things that you're sharing and, and whatnot. So I really do appreciate it. But um, so going back to that that question um, that I was gonna ask initially, but uh, I definitely wanna ask it uh, because you work with, um, you're advocating for young people and everything like that. If you were speaking to someone fresh out of college entering into the ministry world, what advice or pieces of advice would you give that person? So here I'm assuming that they are entering into the ministry world as professionals, right? So they are becoming parish or diocesan ministers or what? Or They, what, what they could be working for a, a, a non-for-profit that, uh, you know, is... Um, you know, does like a ministry, like a prison ministry or something like that. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, sure. Like, uh, um, let's narrow it down to, to parish okay. ministry. Um, I think this applies for, for any field. Um, I will say, get yourself a community. You find yourself a community, um, what I call a village, right? Who is going to be your village? Um, who is going to accompany you, accompany you on the journey? I have... Not like a formula, because it's not a formula, it's different for every person, but um, the the elements of a village or who do you need in your village, I always think is one, a spiritual uh, father or mother. I'm not going to say director, because I feel that many times a director is more of somebody that you see every month. And sometimes it's directors like, I come and I pay, and so um, here is my $50, my $100 for the session. And so that sometimes in young people can create the illusion of um, I'm paying you, <laughs> you know, like you should be available. Um, right. It's not like a, that mutual enrichment because it's more of a service kind of thing. So finding a spiritual father or mother, meaning somebody that is going to walk with you, somebody that is, you know, is going to be praying for you. They just, you meet with uh, him or her once a month or every two weeks, but it's somebody that is going to send you a text message um, here and there to see how you're doing. Uh, somebody that you're also going to ask how they are doing. And that's not, and of course we can give an entire talk about that because that, that there are also those boundaries of the moment that person also becomes uh, too friendly, then it's not necessarily a spiritual companion anymore because um, it has to be somebody that calls you out and well, that is going to help you to grow spiritually. Well, and that's something that um, I definitely talk about when I work with churches on small groups, right? Like once that small group becomes like a friends group, I mean, you can still stay friends, but it loses the essence of what that small group does because of the accountability, because you're not going to yeah. ask the same sort of questions. Um, you know, it's almost like with that familiarity, like almost comes a lack of vulnerability um, in some in some ways and it doesn't mean that the group's gone bad it's just it's it has a new purpose so yeah yes. I can totally relate to that and, yeah and I think is is the purpose of of that role of the person right that's why I'm saying like in this mini village that accompanies you every person has a different role and so mm -hmm. the role of the spiritual director is not a friend that just mm -hmm that that agrees with you in the spirituality <laughs> because it's right. not it, it's, a, it's a person that is going to tell you why you were not acting like a Christian at the work? 
when mm. you made this decision, regardless mm. of you are an executive director or you are in the bottom of the hierarchical chain or whatever, and regardless, like whatever the, the ministry is, right? Or the field is. Um, but it's somebody that's going to push you to be a good Christian, regardless of where you work and what you do. Um, then another person that definitely I would say you need in your village is going to be a mentor. And that is more of a professional mentor, somebody that is older and with experience. It's not somebody your age. It's somebody that has walked the journey <laughs> that they're going to tell you, um, you know what, this tricks, like um, they're going to tell you these documents, these apps, or this is a way you can approach your boss, you know, <laughs> or no, you don't get to jail in a meeting. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's somebody that walked the road um, ahead of you, and and even if even if they don't know all the technological new era, whatever, that doesn't matter. Um, it, it, wisdom really comes with experience, and that's something that as a young minister, I have learned myself. Um, when I finished uh, my master's degree, I, I was like, oh, now I know. <laughs> But no, because there's there are many things that only experience teaches you. Mm. And even as young as I am, I am older than when I started in ministry, mm. right? And I, I look back to Brenda five years ago and I'm like, oh man, I was so dumb. You know, like how is it possible? I believe I was able to do it. Right. Um, and, and so if it wouldn't been for my mentors that have been walking with me all this time, I know I would have made many more mistakes by now. Mm. Oh, I know. I, I've made so many mistakes, mistakes, but I would have been in a worse place if, without them. So get yourself a mentor, and that I mean professionally. It's somebody in your field, um, mm. regardless of that, what field that is. Um, the other person you need is a friend that is not going to look at or a group of friends, as many friends as you want, but it's somebody that nourishes you as a human person, um, that somebody that is not going to look at your title, a, that being DRE, that being uh, diocesan director, diocesan coordinator, that being executive director of this great nonprofit, you know, because many times um, there are a lot of assumptions with titles or mm. people put you in a pedestal mm. um, because they think that you know more just because you're in a certain role or position. And unfortunately, many times we, we run the risk of believing that. And those are lies. I always tell people, don't believe what they tell you. <laughs> okay. When they tell you you are great. No, you are not. Don't believe it. <laughs> That's the first rule. Don't believe it. And so, um, and so it, it, it's people that are going to say, you know what? I don't care who you are. Let's just have a beer. Like, awesome. seriously, we're, we are here to have beers. Mm -hmm. um, because they also going to help you. They also going to help you to stay humble and to be rooted in what it means to be a young adult. Um, and to, and they're going to call you out on your BS if you, they hear you saying something and then you don't do it. Because <laughs> they are not That's afraid awesome. of you. We are yeah. not afraid of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. And it's so important to have that community. I've always said like, yeah, build up that entourage, um, have those people who are going to pour into you, people who can be real and, and different groups, right. For different reasons. Uh, for example, those friends, right. You, you want someone you can objectively go to 
that's not going to worry um, about how they view your, your job or your status in that regards. Yeah. Um, and there's one more person in this village. Awesome. Sorry. No, it's no, somebody, no. Don't be sorry. Um, it's somebody you can, well, actually two more roles. One, it's somebody you can bend to because venting is not good to do it in the, at work. Okay. That's gossiping. <laughs> right. And there's a very fine line between venting and gossip. And so it's somebody that is in your field that understands what you might be going through, but they don't know anybody at your work, nobody in your field, um, or somebody that is going to understand, but you don't have such a close relationship with that person. Mm -hmm. It's um, a therapist helps a lot too, actually, but some people I know don't believe in therapists. Oh, I, 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 I subscribe it. to therapy. Like I, Good. Jesse, my therapist does wonders with me and uh, yeah, so, um, but yeah, I, I, I know I've talked to some people who aren't, and, and what I tell them is that there's so many different types of therapists out there. It really is a personality yeah. thing, but uh, yes, she's a safe place to vent. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. You, you said it right. Find somebody that is safe to vent with. Um, and the therapist is the best, but right. um, I will advocate for that, but we respect whoever you want to invite into that mm -hmm. place. And the other person will be um, people in your ministry that mm -hmm. you can, you can, um, you can bounce ideas with. This is not the mentor role, but it's somebody you can collaborate with. It's somebody that you can come and consult with. Um, probably a peer. It can be a peer uh, mentor, if you want to call it, or a peer companion in the same field. Um, and of course, your family are always there, but those we take them for granted. But I will say um, those people, every young person coming out of college needs that type of village. Awesome. Awesome. Brenda, th this is so good. Um, uh, I I'm just going to ask two more questions, and they're a little bit fun. So if, if we can... <laughs> I mean, we, I've been having fun, but if we can have a little bit more fun uh, okay. uh, with these questions. So the first question that um, I like to ask uh, my guests, and, and sometimes this throws them for a loop or, or not, but um, if you were to put one, like, sometimes I say uh, a, a billboard, sometimes I say a tweet, but I'm going to give you a bumper sticker. If there was one message you could put on a bumper sticker um, for people to read, uh, of course, safely at a stoplight, but or in a parking lot. But if you could put one message on a bumper sticker, what would that be? Honestly, be still and know that I am God. Excellent. That would be. We don't want. That's that's my phrase, and that's just because it says a lot about. It's about a stress. I get anxious easily. I I I take myself too seriously sometimes too. Um, I ask too much for myself and, and others. Um, I have high expectations for myself. And I think that is God saying, take it easy. <laughs> you know, like, nice. pull nice. down. I, I am God. You, you are, mm -hmm. you're not the Messiah child. Calm yeah. down. <laughs> I got this. He's like, I got this, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Last question. If uh, you were to uh, obtain any kind of superpower out there, um, what would that superpower be and how would you use it? Uh, superpower. Um, yeah, I think flying. Oh, no. Mm, speaking any language. Okay. I think it's just uh, a superpower to, of communication without language barrier. 
but also having the right words to say things like because I'm not the best when it comes to expressing my thoughts and that's not because of the language barrier sometimes it is but it happens in Spanish too so <laughs> so I think it will be the power of communication so I can express my thoughts but also not have a language barrier with anybody in the world so I get to know them um but also I get to build bridges uh, and, and do things together. Yeah, awesome. that would be really cool. <laughs> That's so cool. That's cool. Uh, well, Brenda, thank you again so much for being on the YM Transfer podcast. Um, if people want to get in touch with you or uh, connect with you, uh, what are some of the best ways they can do that? They can send me an email to brendanoriega.ministry at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram as um, Brenda underscore Noriega underscore uh, YA for general ministry. Awesome. Facebook, you find me just like that, Brenda Noriega, and I have a picture with the Holy Father. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Hey, hey, you guys are you were his translator for a couple minutes, but that's awesome. Right. That's I get to I get to have that picture as my profile. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, Brenda, thanks again, and uh, hope to. Um, continue this conversation. Um, and uh, thank you so much for all that you do uh, for the church. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. We thank you for listening to this episode of the YM Transfer podcast. And if this is something you enjoyed, we encourage you to go to our iTunes page to leave a review and to know that you can subscribe at iTunes or anywhere else this podcast can be heard. And of course, you can go to Marathon Youth Ministry com to hear past episodes. And lastly, we encourage you, of course, share this with your friends, your families, your coworker, anyone else you know who might benefit from this podcast. We would be eternally grateful. Thank you.